0: Hey friend, I am so glad you're here in the windowsill with me today. I have a special treat that I'm sneaking in. As you know, windowsill chats is a show about creativity, but when I'm not chatting with makers and artists, I really love listening to true crime podcasts. Truly for me, it's a way just to kind of dig into a whole different genre and I find them fascinating. So I was really excited to hear about a new true crime show that highlights a very special creator. It's called death of an artist. So it's very cool because it kind of combines both for me. If you're plugged into the art scene, you might have heard of the famous sculptor Carl Andre and his up-and-coming artist wife, Anna Mendieta. They were both incredibly talented and ruled the art world in the 1980s. He was known for minimalist sculptures, and she broke boundaries with her genre-bending performance art. This could have been a tale about a romance between two fascinating people, but... Their story ends in a 911 call and a tragic death that split the art world in two. Host and curator Helen Molesworth revisits Anna's untimely death, taking a closer look at how she might have fallen out of the window of Carl's 34th floor New York apartment, also the trial that followed, and both the protest and silence that has accompanied this story since 1985. In the preview you're about to hear, Helen introduces us to Anna's earliest work and the shocking topics that would come to inspire her powerful art: blood, violence, and justice. You can hear the full episode and more about Anna's story on Death of an Artist available wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you're interested in true crime at all, and especially art and creativity, well, this is a combo you won't wanna miss. I must say, I listened immediately and I was completely drawn in and I'm very, very curious about this. So let me know what you think.
1: It's May, 1973, Iowa City. There's a damp chill in the air. We are on a sort of shabby block in front of a brick apartment building with a white door in need of a paint job and a storefront window with its blinds drawn shut. The sidewalk just in front of the door is covered in blood, and it looks like the blood might be seeping out from under the door jamb. It's a busy weekday, and as pedestrians pass the puddle of blood, they notice it and casually step around it. Eventually, a man in a green and black plaid jacket pauses and looks around, as if looking for an explanation. When none comes, he walks away. Then a well-dressed white woman uses her umbrella to poke at the bloody puddle. But after a moment or two of inspection, she also walks away. Finally, an older gentleman emerges from a nearby storefront and silently cleans up the mess. And the evidence of whatever happened is suddenly gone. And with it, disappears any account of whose blood was spilled and how. The whole scene is being captured by two young women in their 20s, sisters who sit in an old car parked nearby. One of them holds a Super 8 camera, the kind you'd make home movies with back then. The other snaps photos with a 35-millimeter camera. They are Anna and Racline Mendieta, Cuban refugees who landed in this unlikely place as children. In 1973, Anna was a first-year MFA student at the University of Iowa. She was funny, loud, outrageous, and had a take-no-prisoners vibe. And, in the way of sisters, she had roped Racline into helping her make a new piece. And like many works Anna made, it would come to seem tragically prophetic in the wake of her death. She basically staged what looked like the remnants of, you know, physical violence with what looked like blood in the doorway of a building, and I thought it was extremely powerful. For a very young artist to be doing that, and to be doing it in this small, largely white town of Iowa City, was fascinating to me. That's Connie Butler, one of the many curators who would come to admire and study Anna Mendieta's work in the decades that followed. The photos and film the Mendieta sisters took that day would ultimately become a work of art called Moffat Building Piece. The fact that it still exists only in these little 35 millimeter slides, which, you know, you have to get very close to with a loop and it's a very intimate way of viewing these things, you know, that implicates you as a viewer, too, almost as if you are yourself looking at a crime scene. Anna's interest in blood wasn't only meant to shock. She was keenly aware of violence and injustice. When she made the Moffat building piece, she was investigating her own community's reaction to a brutal crime, a rape and murder that had happened on campus a few months before. Here's how she explained her inspiration. A young woman was killed, raped and killed at Iowa in one of the dorms, and it just really freaked me out. So I did several rape performances type things at that time using my own body. I did something I believe in and that I felt I had to do. That's not actually Ana Mendieta's voice you're hearing. That was Tanya Bruguera, another artist from Cuba, who you'll hear from more later. Anna Mendieta's question was, could you make art about something so awful? And she used blood, not paint. Blood is the most essential substance of life. Could it jolt people out of their daily routines? Could blood make people pay attention? She didn't know it yet, but the Moffat building piece was about to be her first major artwork. And in a circular way, that's kind of terrifying. The question she asked about how we react when we encounter the residue of violence. This question would haunt all of us after she died. I'm your host, Helen Molesworth, and from Pushkin Industries, Something Else, and Sony Music Entertainment, this is Death of an Artist. Episode 1, The Haunting. My entire professional life, I've been a member of something called the art world, an exclusive network of artists, gallery dealers, curators, collectors, and philanthropists. For two decades, I was lucky enough to be a museum curator, making me one of a small group of cultural insiders who determine what art we see and how we talk about it. In the museum world and in art history, there are a lot of unspoken rules about what you can say publicly and what is supposed to stay private. It turns out I wasn't that good at sticking to the script. And I guess I'm still not good at it, because I'm going to tell you Anna Mendieta's whole story, all the way to its shocking and troubling end. And much to my surprise, I discovered it's a story many of my colleagues in the art world would prefer I didn't tell. At first blush, it seemed like people didn't want me to talk about it because of who else is part of that story. Anna's husband, the famous sculptor Carl Andre. He is one of the so-called fathers of minimalism, a cultural hero to many, a revered artist with lots of connections. And he was a suspect in Anna's death. Even though Carl Andre and Anna Mendieta were a highly visible art world couple, even though something terrible happened between them the night she died, you will not read about it on a museum wall label or in most art history textbooks. Reviews of their exhibitions tend to take care of it in a sentence or two. You would not know that Mendieta's death divided the art world in 1985, and in many ways, still does. I'm not the first person to try and tell this story. In fact, many of the voices you'll hear in this show are from interviews conducted by investigative journalist Robert Katz. He published a book in 1990 that remains the most comprehensive look into this art world tragedy. He spoke with dozens of Anna and Carl's friends in noisy restaurants, in parks, in busy offices. And you'll hear the voices of some art world insiders on these tapes who have since decided not to talk. Most folks don't want to discuss what happened that night. They don't want to talk about what the ramifications of that night were on the art world. They don't want to contemplate what it means when a community is torn apart by violence and they don't want to discuss whether or not justice has been served. All these different folks not talking for all of their different reasons means that a veil of silence started to fall over this project. And I can't lie, the more silence we encountered, the more sad and frustrated I became. And the more silence we encountered, the more I wanted to talk.